The theme verse for this year is found in verse number 10. Very excited for what this verse may mean for our church in 2017. It's extremely challenging to me to think of, is my life worthy of the God whom I serve? Am I living in a manner that I know would please Him? It's tremendously challenging, and I hope that some way, somehow tonight, I can convey the effect that this principle has had on my life. Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and, bringing for, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard, it, uh, heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is, your, is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Verse number 9, I, I ask you to truly, truly draw your attention to, the Bible says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Well, why is he praying for them? And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask tonight that you please meet with us in a very special way. Lord, I truly believe that this principle is a life-changing thought. I believe Christians who have been saved for a long time sometimes find themselves worn out with the rigors of daily life. They sense that over the years they might have stalled a little bit. And Lord, tonight I pray that that, that person would be challenged. Lord, tonight there's new converts in the room and new members in the room who maybe are not completely familiar with everything that goes on at Joshua Baptist Church and, and maybe new converts aren't even familiar with what you expect of them. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to me as I preach and speak through me as I preach. Lord, please help us now, I ask, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. The thought of living a life worthy of God. To be honest with you, it's been rather intimidating as I begin to ponder what that means to me. How can I live a life worthy of Jesus? 
I began to do some research on secular companies and kind of their conduct of policies, a better, a, a standard policy, a conduct and procedures. I found that many companies have a quite exhaustive list on what they expect from their employees. The Department of Defense of the United States of America is only 12 pages long, but it includes topics like impartiality and performing official duties, misuse of position, and uses of governmental resources, just to name a few. Now, 12 pages doesn't sound like a lot. However, the standards of ethical conduct for employees of the executive branch, basically that's fancy language to say if you work for the government, has a conduct policy of 85 pages. Some of you might work for the government and you say, I never read it, I don't even worry about it. That's probably wise. They cover topics such as personal and business relationships. Now, I find that unique that a company can dictate to you what type of personal relationships you have. But uh, uh, ethics advice, basic obligation of public service, just to name a few of the 85 pages and what they cover. And then this one intrigued me. American Airlines Standards of Business Conduct. Well, theirs is about 26 pages long. They cover everything from protecting confidential information to how they're not allowed to bribe government officials or reveal private trade information. They cover it all. Then I wonder how about a year ago when I was in Los Angeles, California going through the security line there, waiting to get our bags checked and all that. Uh, we were waiting. Uh, we had a rather large group. And, and I remember leaving the group. I think I had to take the rental van back or something like that. And when I returned, the faces of the group that I was with were in shock. And, and I didn't know what happened. I thought maybe they had eaten an In-N-Out burger and it had changed their life. I really didn't know what had happened. And they look at me and they go, Brother Ange, you are not going to believe what we just saw. And I'm thinking, well, it's Los Angeles, so maybe I would actually believe you. And uh, they went on to explain to me that an American Airlines employee with a name tag, a name badge, and all was, and I'm trying to be very sensitive as I uh, tell you about this story, he was following ladies up the escalator with his cell phone. And he was taking pictures of them. And, and the group that I was with went and approached an American Airlines manager. And they said, you can't believe this. Actually, they approached a police officer at first and they said, this guy is doing this. And, uh, and, and the guy was literally walking by some of those in the group and they said, this is the guy literally touching him on the shoulder. Well, apparently that raised some red flags for the guy. So the guy kind of vacated the premises. And then they went to American Airlines after the police officer said, well, I can't really do that much. You need to talk to American Airlines. Then the American Airlines representative, the manager for the, the, the terminal that we were there in, he said, nah, if you can't show him to me, I can't really help you out. Well, I just showed him to the police officer and, 
And it just so happens we later saw that same man in the terminal trying to escape uh, uh, from where we had been. And we saw him in the terminal. He looked at us and kind of ran the other direction. And I got to thinking, if that is the type of conduct which American Airlines can sweep under the rug, and they have a 26-page conduct policy of standards and procedures... It kind of reminded me of how some Christians were able to sweep 66 books under the covers. As if it doesn't necessarily all apply to them. We treat it very similar to how we treat a buffet, don't we? Well, I think that tastes pretty good, but I want no part of that. Well, I'll move on. And and we go back as many times as we want, but we go back for what we want. I'm afraid that's not a life worthy of Jesus. Tonight I want to talk to you about this thought, the the thought that has challenged me personally, maybe more than any thought ever, a standard of life that is worthy of Jesus Christ. I want to draw your attention, first of all, to Paul and his description of the components of success for the church at Colossae. I want to share with you, first of all, a profitable membership. You see, verse number 2 tells us who Colossians is written to. I want to draw it to your attention because it's very applicable to us. Verse number 2, the Bible says, "...to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae." What you have to understand about the book of Colossians is it's written to a local New Testament church. A lot like the one you're sitting in tonight. And Paul is writing a letter of of encouragement. He's writing a letter to help them through some difficult times. He is writing a local church. You see, this church has got it going on. You see, the Bible tells us on down in in, in verse number 4, Paul is almost bragging about the church. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, he's saying, man, if I've ever heard of a church that I want to be a part of, Colossae is it. I wonder if one of the main components to their success is that they just loved their church. It's amazing when a family gets plugged into a church, how that will build and strengthen the relationships within the family. You see, there's nothing that is more solidifying than working together for Jesus Christ as a family. You ask somebody like Brother Luke, Brother Kevin Gerald, Brother Chris Dyer, you ask Brother Jim Zorns, if serving Jesus Christ in the New Testament local church hasn't had some impact on their families. You see, when you serve Jesus together, you grow closer to Jesus together. And he's writing to this church, and and they had a profitable membership. You see, uh, the Bible tells us that the Lord will work through the church. Jesus says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And he delegates that power not to his disciples, not to just people who were under his ear or or within earshot of the Lord that day. He delegated the authority of all his power to the New Testament church. Christian, can I just encourage you this evening? In 2017, get plugged into this church. Not because this church needs you, but because you need this church and what Jesus can do with you through serving in 
His church. Oh, one of the components of their success was a profitable membership. Secondly, I want you to notice a passionate leader. See, movements are only as effective as the leader of that movement. Verse number 7, I want to draw your attention to something you may have not ever heard before. But Paul, after going on and on about how the church at Colossae is just rocking it out for Jesus, verse number 7 he says, As he also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. You know who the pastor at the church at Colossae was? Epaphras. Now I want you to look at verse number 1 of chapter number 2. This is what might blow your mind. Paul says to the church at Colossae, For I would that ye knew what great conflicts I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Hold on, did y'all catch that? After going on and on about how good everything is at Colossae, Paul says... I've never been there. Verse number one says, you've never even been able to hear me preach. You've never seen me in the flesh. And yet I hear all of these good reports. Who did he hear them from? Well, verse number seven, he heard them from Epaphras. I wonder if Colossae had it going on so much, or if Epaphras was just telling Paul all the good and leaving out all the bad. You see... A passionate leader does not focus on the negative. Amen. When you got people, you got problems. Amen. But I wonder if Epaphras wasn't just so excited that the gospel of Jesus was reaching his community, he was able to leave out the little problem that happened in the parking Amen. lot. He was able to overlook that time when the janitor didn't get all fresh new rolls of toilet paper in the bathroom. And he just came to Paul and he said, Paul, the Lord is doing such a great work at Colossae. He's working in people's lives. He's, he's getting families back together. He's doing great things. And, and I'm just so excited about what Jesus is doing. I wonder if a great church does not have to have a great leader at the helm. And I'm not here to brag about a man, but I'm here to tell you, as he taught this morning, God uses vehicles. Vehicles have to have an overseer of the direction that they go. And my friends, I am so thankful for a pastor that I am able to serve side by side with and know he is not just making it up as he goes, but he's truly a man of God led by the Lord. You see, pastors have to deal with a lot of stuff that most people don't even realize. I read about a pastor who had a, a donkey die in the back pasture at the church. And, and so the pastor was trying to get this problem resolved before Sunday. And uh, the pastor called the police department. And the police department said, well, you know, we, we really can't do anything about that. That really has to do with the health department. Well, the pastor hangs up the phone with the police department and calls the health department. And they say, well, that's not really within our realm of, of work. That's not really our jurisdiction. That's the sanitation department. So the pastor, somewhat frustrated, but uh, understanding that people have clear lines of work, he hangs up the phone and calls the sanitation department. The sanitation department says, well, sir, we, we can't really do anything about the dead donkey in the church's backyard 
until the mayor gives us a stamp of approval and go ahead to take care of it. Well, see, this was a problem for the pastor because the mayor was known to have an attitude, especially when it came to things of the church. So the pastor waited a a little bit, kind of putting off what he knew was inevitable, but he ended up dialing the mayor, got through to him, and he explained the problem. Mayor, we have a, a dead donkey in the backyard. We just need it taken care of before Sunday service. There's no real rush, but we need it taken care of by Sunday. And the mayor began to just go off on the preacher. Eventually, he kind of, after, you know, ranting for a little bit, he said, and preacher, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it your job to bury the dead? Well, obviously, the pastor was a little angered at the accusation, the the almost mockery of his position as clergy. and, And so he asked the Lord to help him in his response, make sure it was measured, make sure it was full of grace and a little bit of truth. And, uh, and so the pastor said, well, Mayor, you have a good point. And being as it is my job to bury the dead, it is also my job to notify the first of kin. So, Mayor, we have a dead donkey in the backyard. <laughs> you see, there's a lot of things that pastors deal with that you'd have no idea that you, they have to deal with. You see, pastors are the ones that get the midnight phone calls. Pastors are the ones that don't get to just see the friendly handshake on Sunday morning, but they have to sit in the counseling session on Monday afternoon. You don't all all know what goes on in a pastor's life and the toll that it sometimes takes on his family. But any pastor will tell you he's grateful to serve in the greatest thing that it could ever be. A pastor can ever serve. I'm so thankful to serve Jesus. I'm so thankful. He's put my family in this place with you. Great people who love Jesus. I'm so thankful. And I'm thankful for a man who over the years served God faithfully and demonstrated a tremendous example for me to follow. I want you to notice, thirdly, not only did they have a profitable membership, a passionate leader, thirdly, they have a pursuit of faith. Verse number four, Paul points this out. He says, Epaphras came to me. He was bragging just a little bit. He said, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and and of the love which you have to all the saints. You see, their primary focus was faith in Jesus Christ. They were passionate about learning about their Savior and serving their Savior. And as they served, they saw. You see, that's the direction we have to head, Joshua Baptist Church. As we serve, we will see God do great things. We won't see God do great things until we begin to serve. They were growing in faith because they were growing in work. They were growing in in accomplishment because they were growing in their labor. You see, we have to serve so that we can see the Lord do wonderful things through us. Faith is the spiritual muscle that realizes the resources of God. See, faith allows you to see God's miraculous hand at work. Otherwise, you may attribute it to some program or some ministry, but any pastor worth his weight and salt will look back over his years of ministry and he'll say something like this, Boy, God sure led me there. 
Oh, God sure took care of us there. Oh, God sure helped us there. You see, faith is a growing thing that allows us to see the resources of our God at work. See, I want you to share with you, first of all, the components of their success. Secondly, I want you to see the contents of Paul's supplication. You see, this passage of Scripture is actually a prayer. Paul is praying for those in Colossae. He even says, verse number 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Oh, Paul was praying for this church that they might continue, that they might fight through it, that they might live a life that is worthy of Jesus Christ. Well, what was his prayer about? Verse number 9 tells us, first of all, Paul says this, I pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will. The word knowledge there is the Greek word epikonosko. You see, one of the things that the church at Colossae was dealing with was false teachers coming in, and they were doing great spiritually. Epaphras, man, he must have been a great pastor, overseeing, helping, serving, loving his congregation. And then what happened is these, these false teachers were coming in, and they were saying things like, Yes, but you don't have the full gospel. If you add this to your gospel, you'll be able to do more for God. And so Paul uses the same word that they would use. We want you to be filled with the knowledge, and Paul uses the exact term that they would have used, epikonosko. It is an academic understanding. You see, there's nothing spiritual about learning the Bible for learning's sake. It's not a great thing to sit down and study your Bible so that you can know more Bible. It's a great thing to study your Bible so you can apply Bible. What these people were saying was, let's have a Bible study. I'm amazed at how in-home Bible studies are completely eroding the foundation of the local church. Let's just have a Bible study, and everybody's wanting a Bible study. And what's happening is these people are saying, let's just study the Bible together so that we might know more Bible. That's what the false prophets were saying. They were saying, oh, let's academically know more about the Scriptures. But there's a group of people in the Bible that... The Bible says about them, they are ever learning. They're always wanting to know more. They're always reading another book. They're always seeking another manuscript or a translation of that word out of Greek in the Hebrew. And they're always learning. And you know what the Bible says about them? And never coming to the knowledge of truth. That was these people. And so Paul's first prayer request for them is that they might have knowledge. Church, you need to know more about the Bible in 2017 than you knew in 2016. It never ceases to amaze me. I'll read passages like Jonah and I'll learn something new every single time. We don't need more Bible. We need to know more about the Bible we already have. And that's what Paul's saying. Let's get to know Bible. That's good. Let's study it together. Let's learn it together. But he says, not only of the knowledge of His will, but secondly, verse number 9, 
the Bible says, and in all wisdom, and in all wisdom, the Greek word here is sophone, it speaks of the ability to discern tremendously difficult things. You know, like things that are hard to understand, like uh, uh, parsing sentences, or long division, or proofs. How many of you enjoyed proofs in school? You're crazy if you're raising your hand right now. But Paul, John Scahill's in the back. I, I caught him too. John Scahill's like, he literally was whispering to Garrett, I like him. No joke. Look how red he is. He knows it's true too. That's great. You see, wisdom here does not speak of an academic understanding. It speaks of a spiritual understanding. You see, the Bible says, uh, uh, the things of God are foolishness to people that are not saved. They just, they can't even understand how we could give 10% to God. It just makes no sense, an absurd practice for us to do that. You see, but uh, spiritual things are never uh, discerned by carnal people. Amen. The Bible tells us that, uh, uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but the natural man receiveth not the things of God, the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to them. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. What Paul is saying is, let's get together and learn more about the Bible. But let's have wisdom to know how that Bible applies to us. Let's spiritually understand it and not just academically understand it. There's a big difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Oh, the devil knows more Bible than I will ever know, and yet he has no spiritual understanding of it. To him, he still thinks he's going to win because he has no spiritual understanding. So, Paul says, let's learn the Bible. Let's get, get to know more about it. But let's understand it. And then he says in verse number 9, and spiritual understanding. This word literally means, uh, is sunesis. It literally means to put together or to grasp. Now I'm a simple man and I understand simple thoughts and object lessons and illustrations, so I'm going to make this one simple for you. What's so good about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? It's not the outside. You see my wife the other day, actually I'll start the story from the beginning. My daughter received, uh, she was playing a game on one of our phones. And on this game, it was a food truck game. And, and the food truck, uh, people came to the door, they, or to the window, they ordered their food. And one of them came to the window and said, I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'm thinking, what type of food truck is this? That you're so lazy, you can't make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You have to pay someone to do it for you. And then I watched how this food truck made the sandwich. They took butter, put it in a skillet. And like a grilled cheese, basically grilled the PB&J. Now this got my wheels to turning, okay? 
I said, I like the buttery crust of a grilled cheese. And I like the, the gooey insides of peanut butter and jelly. Amy! <laughs> right. I was watching Pioneer Woman to sell it. Anything on Pioneer Woman, she is gospel to her, man. <laughs> Let's do it. Amy, I was there's this new concept I've been thinking about. Let's put butter and fry it. Now, this is original. Let's put butter and fry a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and see how it tastes. She did it. Mind blown. And what's funny is, y'all can go home and try it. I'm talking about, it was phenomenal. The, 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 the crust, the golden brown crust on the outside. Have you ever had warm jelly, gooey, oh, warm peanut butter? Did you know peanut butter, when it gets hot, is kind of runny? Let me just say, I don't know what manna was like. And Dr. House, correct me if I'm wrong. I know it wasn't a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but it was probably close. And you know the Lord grilled it just like that. See, what's great about a, grill, uh, or, uh, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I mean, the outside can be doctored up. I loved the bread. But if you bring me two buttered pieces of bread, what do I have? Toast. And now we're British, eating tea and crumpets. I don't want that. I like the peanut butter and jelly. You know what spiritual understanding is? It is the glue that holds academic understanding of the Scriptures together with spiritual understanding of the Scriptures. It is literally the application of God's Word to your life. If you get nothing else out of any sermon I preach in 2017, get this. There is nothing that will ever change your life more than God's Word and applying it to your life. You see, Paul's, uh, Paul was praying for them and there's the contents of his supplication. Finally, we must hurry. I want to show you the challenge of God's standard. I shared with you earlier... The standard by which all of these governmental regulations had, or these government agencies had, the Department of Defense and, and, and uh, those that work for the government, American Airlines had their own standards of conduct. I want to show you now God's standard of contact. Look in verse number 10. That ye might walk worthy. First of all, it is a high standard. As I create sermons, I begin to try to think about how I can teach this. How I can convey something. And I tell you, I sat without any idea of how to convey what would be worthy of God. What in our life, I thought of trying to put 
a hand on the screens to show how high God's standard is, and then to show me down here how far away I was from His standard. But the problem is, there's a ceiling if I put it up there. God's standard is so much higher than anything I could ever represent to you. So I want you to take your Bible to Revelation chapter 5. I can't tell you a colorful story. I can't craft some funny illustration to help you understand what would be worthy of the most worthy. But Revelation chapter 5 might be able to tell us. Verse number 1, And I saw in the right hand of Him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look therein. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Boy, I tell you what, it's hard to read the Bible with tears in your eyes. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy! to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Oh, there is no way I could describe how worthy our God is. But this book does a great job. Who is worthy but the Lamb that was slain? The reason this is probably the most challenging thought that I have had in I don't even know how long. As I read the Bible, it hit me like a brick hit, hit somebody in the head. I thought, how could my life 
with all my effort and with all my desire, how can I ever live up to that worthy of that God? You see, it gets even more intimidating when you realize that it's not only a high standard, but it's by His scale. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, back in, back in Colossians chapter 1, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Now this term in the Greek does not speaking, is not speaking of pleasing unto you or meeting your standard of righteousness. It carries with it the idea of a servant who performs a task to his standard and the master comes to inspect the work to make sure it is at his standard. Because if the servant does not meet the master's standards, all of his work was in vain. It's kind of like the parable of the unfaithful servant. You see, there's a a, a, a master going off on a far journey and he leaves with three of his servants. Five talents, two talents, and one talent. Oh, the one with five goes and exchanges it and actually produces double the talents. The same with the two. But the one man that was given one talent goes and buries it in the earth. Upon the uh, master's return, he looks at them and he inspects their work. And, and the one with five says, Lord, I, I knew that you were a good master. I, I knew that you uh, wanted me to do something with what you put in my hand. So here are my five talents plus five more that I have earned for you. And the master says, well done. Same thing with the man that had two servants, two talents. But I find it interesting that the man who only had one talent defended his work as if it met his own approval. Lord, I knew that you were a hard and austere man, and so I took your talent, and I knew that I needed to do something with it, so I buried it in the earth, and when you returned, I was able to give to you the one talent which you had given to me. And the Lord looks at the servant and says, This is not acceptable. This is not what I wanted from you. You see, if we do not meet the master's standards, our work is in vain. Amen. There's a lot of Christians today that live the Christian life trying to meet their own standard. I'm telling you, their standard could never be worthy of God unless they're trying to live up to His standards. Now when I begin to comprehend this, the fact that it is a high standard, the fact that it is His standard, I ask myself, it's too much. How could Andrew, just old wicked Andrew, just trying to get by day to day Andrew, how could I meet this standard? Well, I want to show you, it's actually pretty simple. Look at the next phrase in verse number 10. Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, meeting His standard. Well, verse number 10. How do you do it? Being fruitful in every good work. As intimidating as it might be, you know where it starts? The next opportunity you have. 
You see, when you began to look at the scope of everything that is required of you to walk worthy of our Lord and Savior, you sit down on your stump and you just say, there's no way I could ever do that. But when you're faced with an opportunity to glorify Jesus in your everyday life, that one battle is not nearly intimidating. I sat in a personal productivity seminar because I thought I was not very productive. Productive. I also sat in an English class. It didn't help me at all. (laughs) I sat in a personal productivity seminar of the man who oversees Asia for American Express. The man is exceedingly wealthy. And obviously, in, in order to climb that corporate of a ladder, he has had to do a lot. He's a pretty productive fella, I would say. That or American Express don't know what they're doing. Amen. Which, there's a very good chance. <clears throat> this man is a very good Christian man. And I sat in this seminar thinking, man, I'd love to be more productive, but you know, kind of what's the secret? You know what he shared with me that day? as long with everybody else in the class, he said, if you want to read 55 books next year, it starts with the first one. You see, 55 books is intimidating, but one is not. How are we to live this high standard of walking worthy of Jesus? I'll tell you how. One work at a time. One opportunity to serve at a time. One chance to share the love of Jesus at a time. Oh, don't look at it as an entire year of 2017. That's terribly intimidating. Tell me, how are you going to live for God tomorrow? Unto all pleasing and every good work. Oh, it's a high standard, certainly. It's by His scale, not ours. It's actually a pretty simple goal. But fourthly, I want you to see, and we're done, it is so satisfying. When you live a life worthy of God, and I'm taking the Apostle Paul's word here, the Bible says in the final uh, phrase of verse number 10, what, what do you accomplish when you do all of these things, when you meet God's standard of walking worthy? Verse number 10. And increasing in the knowledge of God. You know why you walk worthy of God? Because it helps you understand how great our God is. When God enables you a fleshly individual to sit down and take somebody through the Word of God and help them understand that Jesus Christ died for them and that He rose again so that they could be saved and they didn't have to face death. When you sit there just doing one good work at a time, loving one person at a time, sharing the gospel with one person at a time, and God uses you in His service, you begin to understand that God is so good to you and me. And we are so undeserving of it. 
Paul's entire focus of his life became on increasing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I mean, we're talking about a guy who had personal one-on-one time with Jesus, personal revelation time with Jesus. You see, Paul didn't see the resurrection, but he was counseled by Jesus Christ. You see, Paul, if anybody should have known about Jesus, it was Paul. He was teaching about Jesus in his writings. And yet Paul's life mission said, Oh, all the things I've accomplished, I count them all but dumb, that I may get to have a little more knowledge of Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Peter spent day-to-day time with Jesus, walking throughout all the regions that Jesus traveled. And Peter says it like this in 2 Peter chapter 3, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How well do you know Jesus? You see, I don't ask the question, how much do you know about Him? Because if there's anybody in the room that can take you through a verse-by-verse defense of the deity of Christ, it's me. How well Do you know Him? There's a big difference between the two. How much have you seen His power in your life this year? Oh, we are weak, but He is strong through our weakness. Have you sensed that power? Has He used you to reach out to somebody to share the love of Christ? as if Jesus Himself were there lifting up a leper or healing a blind person? Has He used you this year to just spread the love of Jesus? How well do you know Him? Because the more we know Him, the higher the standard of His worthiness becomes. This year, our mission... Our goal, our vision, our statement, whatever you want to call it, is simply this. Living lives worthy of the one who bled and died for us. Worthy of His sacrifice. Worthy of His love. Worthy of His power. Worthy of His mission. Worthy of His compassion. Worthy of His sovereignty. Worthy of His incarnate person. Worthy of that little baby in the manger that one day become the resurrected Savior. Worthy of Jesus this year in 2017. Don't treat it normal. Don't treat it mundane. Treat it as if every day is a mission for God. Treat it when you get up out of bed in the morning. Treat it as if it's your last day to live for Jesus. And that is a life worthy of our Lord and Savior. 